0: Hey, thanks for joining us on the No Limits Church Podcast. Here at No Limits, we are dedicated to helping you live your best life. And it's a journey that we call Pursuing Limitless Life in Jesus. And we're doing it all for one reason, so that our lives can impact the world. So wherever you're listening from, we pray that you are encouraged and empowered by this week's message.
1: Well, our mission here at No Limits is to help you all live your best life. And that's a journey that we call pursuing limitless life in Jesus. And, and we are, we're doing that because Ephesians 3.20 tells us that basically God wants to blow your mind with how much he can accomplish through you. Like he just wants to blow your mind. That's what, Read Ephesians 3.20. It's good stuff. But the whole purpose of finding your best life, it's not for yourself. It's actually so you, that you can make an unimaginable difference in the lives of those around you, which I believe that we all want. So finding your best life, it may seem like a dream or, or something that you're, you hope for, but maybe you're never going to find, but there's actually four steps that can get you to your best life. Like you don't, you don't have to guess, you don't have to wish like this can actually happen for you. And here's the steps. Step one is you got to know God. Like a lot of people know about God, but that's not the same thing as knowing God personally. So the first step in anyone's spiritual journey is you got to dive in and you got to get to know God. And one of the best ways that you can do that is what you're doing right now. Come to Sunday services because our Sunday services are dedicated to helping you know God. That's why we get into his word and and that's why, you know, I give you practical steps that you can take home and apply to your life tomorrow. And then this next step is when you find freedom. You see, knowing God is like something that's going to progress throughout your life. How many of y'all have realized that like you can know God more today than you knew him yesterday? Like it's just kind of like expansive and endless how much you can know him. So like this second step actually happens simultaneously. As you're getting to know God is when you find freedom. It's when you settle your yesterdays. It's whenever you get rid of all that stuff that's holding holding you back, like this could be an addiction to like drugs or an addiction to pornography, or maybe there's somebody that you've hated for the last 20 years and you need to forgive them. Like all that stuff is finding freedom But we all have things in our lives that we try to hide from other people. Like we just kind of like stuff it into that, that dark closet in our lives and we try to hide it from God. We try to hide it from people. But there comes a point in your spiritual journey where you have to turn on the light and you have to drive that darkness out of your life. And one way we help you do that here at No Limits is through small groups. Because you need close relationships with other believers and other people who are trying to live their best life to help you find freedom. Like that's whenever you find it, because these are the people that watch out for you, and these are the people that walk with you through those difficult times. And then step three is when you discover pur- discover purpose. So once you get to know a place where you're you're continually knowing God and you're walking in that freedom, then you can discover your purpose. So did you notice those first two two steps are about you? Like because we all have to get ourselves taken care of before we can actually step into making a difference in the lives of others. And that's okay. You shouldn't feel guilty about that. If you need some time to work through those first two steps, that's perfectly fine. There's no rush because you need those in place before you can really discover your purpose because you're not here by chance. Like God put you here for a reason. He really did. And he has an assignment for you And it can be tough to discover because there's a lot of distractions around there, but that's why we have the growth track. And as you guys probably know, the growth track is a four-step process where we walk alongside you as you discover your purpose. And it happens every Sunday after church from 1230 to 130. Today is actually the second Sunday of the month, so that means it's step two of the growth track. So anyone's welcome to join us, whether you've completed step one or not, like anybody can come to step two, because you can catch step one next month if you need to. And then step four is when you make a difference. So the final step in your spiritual journey is the whole reason you're going on a journey to begin with is because you want to make a difference in the lives of others. When we know God and we're walking out our freedom and we've discovered our purpose, we turn into this incredible force to those around us. And it's awesome. Like we're making a difference because we're walking around with peace. And we're walking around with fulfillment, and we're kind of just like this light shining in the darkness, and that's because Jesus is shining through us, because we've walked through these steps. So we're called to make a difference, and that's actually what this new series is all about. And today's part one of the series called Be Rich. Uh, before we get into what it means to be rich, we actually need to get something else taken care of. You see, if you want to fix your behaviors or, or make something better in your life, you actually don't start by fixing your behaviors. Yeah, you've got to start with what's going on in your head. We got to update our thinking, so that's where we're going to start this series. Today's message is called "Think Right and Do Right" because we first need to change our thinking if we really want to live our li- live a life that makes a difference. So let me show it to you in Scripture in Proverbs twenty-three seven. It says, "For as he thinks in his heart, so is he." In other words, whatever you're thinking, those ideas and how you perceive the world, like that's who you are. You like you can't think one way and then be somebody else because your thinking is what produces your behaviors. And here's another way to say it. In Romans twelve two it says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Notice it didn't say that God changes your behavior. Did you all catch that? No, God changes the way you think, which in turn creates right behavior. So we all want to attack others' beha- bad behaviors. Anybody ever done that? Like, you just kind of want to attack them, and then you kind of go on, on this quest to attack your own bad behaviors and get them out of your life, yet it never works. Anybody else found that out but me? So the reason it doesn't work is because you're attacking the symptom. You're not attacking the actual cause of your bad behaviors, which is wrong thinking. Because you see, the cause of bad behavior is wrong thinking. It's that simple. And God transforms us into a new person, not by taking away our bad behaviors, but by changing the way that we think. And that's exactly why we come to church on Sundays. We're going to upgrade our thinking. We do that every Sunday. That's why we get into the Word of God. And that's why we're starting this new series. We're going to actually upgrade our thinking first and foremost, because when we think right, we're going to do right. So let me show you the theme verse for this series and what's interesting about this verse is it was actually written to a pastor. This is the Apostle Paul writing a letter to the to a pastor named Timothy. Take a look at this. It says command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain. Notice this wasn't like a passive request. He didn't say, "Hey, hey Timothy, like when it's convenient, like when it feels right." you know, go ahead and tell the rich people a few things. No, this was a command. He said, command, like, go and do it right now. Go talk to the rich people in this world and tell them this. Two things, don't be arrogant about your wealth and don't trust in it either. And in other words, like, when you become rich, like, there's this gravitational pull to think that you're better than everybody else. And there's also this gravitational pull to put your, your trust and your security in what's in your bank account. So how do you make sure this wrong thinking doesn't happen to you? Well, it goes on to say, but put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. So there's three things I want to get you, out of, want you to get out of this verse right here. First, put your hope in God. So when you catch yourself feeling secure because of your bank account, it's time to have a conversation with yourself. Remind yourself that, like, it could all be gone tomorrow. So don't put your trust in your bank account. And the second thing is, I love this, for our enjoyment. So I want you to see that God's okay with you enjoying what you have. Because there's this idea out there that if someone lives in a nice house or or goes on a nice vacation, that they are using that money for something that could have been used for a greater purpose. Anybody ever heard of that that thought pattern out there? And this should never be a part of your thinking. Because let me all let you in, let me let you in on a secret. God is never going to ask you about how somebody else spent their money. <laughs> like you're not going to get it to heaven, and he's not gonna, he's not going to say, "Hey, can you give me a report on how Cade spent his money?" He's not going to ask you that. So we shouldn't even be worried about how other people are spending their money, but he does care what you do with yours. And one thing he wants you to do is enjoy it. And then which leads us into the next part of this verse is be rich in good deeds. So there's a command to do good with what you have, like enjoy it and do good with it. But don't just do a little bit of good, be rich in good deeds, like do a lot of them. So let's sum it up like this. Enjoy what God has given you while taking every opportunity to be generous. And that right there is how you handle money God's way, if you want to sum it up. So that was a loaded scripture, but let's keep reading how it goes on. It says, in this way, you're going to lay up treasure for yourselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that you may take hold of life that is truly life. So when you, when you live this way, when you're, when you're rich in good deeds, your heavenly bank account, like it just continues to grow. And I don't know if you know this, but that's a lot better than investing in the stock market because your heavenly bank account's going to be with you forever. Your earthly bank account's is going to be here for however long you live here. And then somebody else is going to get it. But maybe you, maybe you read the scripture and you wonder, like, why, why is there a whole section in the Bible teaching rich people how to be rich? Like, what's up with that? Well, the reason is because rich people aren't very good at being rich. So it, this isn't just opinion, it's actually fact, because here's a truth in America. The more Americans make, the less they give. And this is statistically proven. This isn't something that was made up. And I don't know about you, but I spent a lot of time convincing myself, you know, that when I make more later on, then, then I'll start giving. Anybody else had that thought? Or like, you know, when I have a little bit of more savings in my savings account, then I'll act on that generosity that God put on my heart. I'll do it then. Well, if that's our strategy, we've got to upgrade our thinking, because the statistics show that on average, the more you make, the less you give, and really it all comes down to how we think. The reason rich people aren't good at being rich is because their thinking ain't right. So let me show you three things that I'm talking about. Rich people, they don't like to admit that they're rich. And this is really interesting, because tall people don't mind admitting that they're tall. And like... The guys who hit the gym every, every day, like, they don't mind admitting that they're buff. And like, they'll show you if you wait around long enough. And you know, like, OSU fans, they don't mind representing Oklahoma State, even though they should probably be a little bit embarrassed by that. I did that for you, babe. Disclaimer, I care nothing about football. But my wife likes OU, so that's why I had to do that one. Yet rich people, they don't like to admit that they're rich. Like I could ask you right now, you know, everybody in here, raise your hand if you think that you're rich. And yeah, well, I got one, but most of us aren't hollering. Hey, it's me. It's me. I'm the one that's rich. And the truth is most of us should probably identify with being rich. Let me show you what I mean. A survey was sent out and asked people, you know, how much do you have to make each year to be considered rich? And the answer you're rich when you make $150,000 a year. And some of you are thinking, that's right, because I don't make anywhere close to that. And if I had that kind of money rolling in, I would be rolling in the dough. But you ask people who make $150,000 a year if they think that they're rich? They're like, no, that's barely enough to pay my bills. And they did another survey to ask the subscribers of Money Magazine. Um, and I don't know about you, but I don't have enough money to like sit around and read a magazine about what to do with it all. But anyway, there is a magazine that exists out there because these people exist, and they asked them, how how much would you have to have in liquid assets to be considered rich? In other words, like, how much would you have to have available at your disposal to use right now to be considered rich? And they said, five million. And you probably scoff at that number and think, well, yeah, it must be kind of nice to have that kind of money, right? Yet you ask the people who have five million dollars available to them if they think that they're rich, and they say, no. The people who have hundreds of millions are the ones that are rich so here's the bottom line nobody's rich but everybody knows somebody that is right so step one in this idea of being rich is actually to admit the fact that i already am i already am rich and let me prove it to you according to the global rich list a thirty two thousand dollar four hundred annual income places you among the top one percent of earners in the world isn't that incredible thank you brandon but for everybody else, that's the response I thought I'd get. I meant nobody, nobody went, praise God, I'm rich, and I didn't even know it. I didn't hear that from anybody. I came in miserable today, but now I'm leaving happy because my pastor told me I was rich. Woo! I like it, Brandon. Good job. But the reason you're not, about, you're not excited about it is because you don't feel rich. I get it. But that's something I'm going to help you with today. But why are we even talking about this? Why are we talking about money? Why is Kate talking about money? Because the Bible does. 2 Corinthians 8 9 says, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Jesus didn't become poor to give you an example of of being poor. Jesus became poor to make you rich. Come on, somebody just upgraded their thinking right there. Y'all hearing that? Why does Jesus want us to be rich? Well, just a few verses down, it says, yes, you are going to be enriched in every way. Anybody want to receive that? You are going to be enriched in every way. Why? So that you can always be generous. Jesus didn't make you rich so you could say, hey, look at me. I got a lot of money, money in the bank. He doesn't even want to make you rich to make you feel secure. He doesn't. But here's the second reason people, rich people, aren't very good at being rich. That's because rich people are plagued by discontentment. In other words, like the more stuff you have, the more stuff you want. Has anybody noticed that? I mean, if I have just a a few more shirts in my closet that I love, you know, going and getting dressed every morning is just going to be a joy every time. And so then I get those shirts in my closet and I decide, I find out that I actually need more. Or you know what? If I could just have five more dollars per hour at work, like then I would have the salary that I need. And then I get a raise, and somehow I found some way to spend all that money, and I'm back in the predicament that I was before. So if you're trying to find contentment by making more money or getting more stuff, you're never going to be content. It's never going to happen. You're always going to be striving for more and more. And what it's going to do is it's going to steal your time and energy from the most important things. That's the trap. You'll end your life discontent because you'll finally realize, you know what, I wish I would have never been chasing stuff. I wish I would have been chasing God all that time. And the Bible actually talks about this in Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10. It says, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come and help you spend it. That's pretty funny right there. So what good is wealth? except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers. People who work hard and sleep well, whether they eat little or much, but the rich seldom get a good night's sleep. So getting stuff isn't going to fulfill you. It's, not, it's just going to create more stress in your life. And you may even get to the place where you have so much stuff that causes so much stress that you can't even sleep at night. Like, it really happens. I mean, we do this at Christmas every year. We think, you know, you know Christmas last year is, is pretty good. But this year, it's going to be bigger, and it's going to be better. And so we're going to spend more money, and we're going to go into more debt, and then it's going to be all kinds of joy to take care of that debt next year, right? Yeah, we do it all the time. Don't do that because your kids just end up playing in a cardboard box anyway. That's how it turns out. And I know this probably, this probably isn't you, but you know some people that act that way, right? So, I mean, rich people are there a little weird. Like, they drive their fully functioning car into the dealership. And and they go in and they talk to this guy and they, they leave their keys with him and say, you know, you can have that car. And, and you know what? Here's here's a bunch of money, too. And then they drive off in this car that's basically identical, does the same stuff as the car that they drove in with. I mean, that's kind of silly, isn't it? Or, or they'll take a fully functioning kitchen with, like, beautiful cabinets and, like, everything works and it's really not even that outdated. And they'll pay somebody to come in and they'll rip it all apart. And then they'll put it all back the way it was, only it just looks a little bit different this time. I don't know. I don't get it. Like, are, are they just giving somebody a contractor practice for the next kitchen, that next house that actually needs a kitchen? I don't know. Or how about this one? They, they go and wait in line at an Apple store for the new iPhone, and while they're sitting there waiting in line, they pull out their iPhone that they already have, and they text somebody, hey, waiting in line for a new iPhone. That's the stuff that we do, and I, well, I know this isn't you guys, but you probably know somebody who's done this, right? So I think sometimes we just need to be reminded that we actually have a lot of stuff. We do. And the stuff isn't going to bring happiness. There's nothing wrong with this stuff. But if you're looking at your stuff to bring happiness, like that's where the problem is. So let me go ahead and give you the last thing that shows us rich people aren't very good at being rich. And that's rich people live with a false sense of security. Like they believe they can save their way to safety. I've been there. I've tried that. Like if my bank account is just big enough, then I know I'll be taken care of for the rest of my life. And there's a term for this that you've probably heard. Like I want to be financially secure, right? secure. I hate to break your bubble, but there's no such thing as financial security. It ain't there. Seriously, like you could have millions of dollars in your bank account, and it's not going to keep bad things from happening to you. There's actually a verse in the Bible that talks about this in Proverbs. Chapter 18, verse 11, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. And I highlighted the key word in this verse. In other words, like thinking that wealth is going to keep you safe is a dream. We like to imagine that it'll work, but it just simply doesn't work. There's actually this new TV series out right now called Back in the Game, because it turns out um, most professional athletes, whenever they get to the end of their career, um, they end up going broke. And so this show is really cool. Like, this guy is helping these athletes get back on their feet and become financially stable again. And the episode I watched this last week was about a famous boxer called Evander Holyfield. I don't know if anybody watches boxing, but yeah. So he earned, he earned over $200 million in his career as a professional boxer, and then he retired in 2014, and here we are five years later, and he's got nothing to show for it. He's living in a two-bedroom apartment. Can you all believe that? So there you have it. With, even with $200 million, it's still not enough to keep you guys safe and from bad things happening to you. And I know we were having a lot of fun until now, right? Like, that's not very fun. But but you guys have to get this, or you're going to waste your entire life looking for security in the wrong thing. Money's never going to bring you security. It never will. And let me put it to you in a question. How much money would you need to secure your future against anything bad that could happen? Well, here's the answer. More than you currently have. And I'm not saying that a savings account's a bad idea. I have a savings account. And it just so happens to have six months worth of expenses in it so that if I lost my job or something happened, like I could still take care of my family for six months, I'd have six months to figure it out, basically, which I think should be plenty of time. So saving money is a bad thing, but we can't put our trust, we can't put our hope in our savings because we're just going to continue to hoard more and more money if that's where our hope is because we're seeking more and more security. And that's exactly why as Americans make more money, they actually give less, because as their income goes up, so does their expenses, and they have more stuff to take care of, so they feel more insecure, and so they start hoarding their money because they're scared. That's how it works. So we've got to upgrade our thinking. We've got to put our hope in God. He's the one who takes care of our needs. God is. He's the one watching out for us, and he's taking those bad things that happen to us and turning them into good things, just like we sang this morning. You take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for my good— so good. So don't look to money to give you something. Don't look to money to give you something that it never can. Look to God to sustain you and give you peace and give you contentment and make you rich in good deeds, because that's a life worth living. So we just talked about the bad thinking around money, but I also got to give you some good thoughts to replace those bad thoughts. Maybe you've been to church where they like try to try to guilt you into giving. Or maybe it was, it was even somebody outside of the church that told you, you, know, you probably shouldn't have bought that car because you could have used that money for, for a greater purpose, right? Or maybe they just think that and they never told you, but you can tell by their stinky attitude. Well, I'm not going to do any of that, and the reason is the Bible doesn't do any of that. It doesn't. It simply shows us the truth so that we can upgrade our thinking. And then when our thinking's right, what are we going to do? We're going to do right when our thinking's right. So remember, our thoughts determine our actions. Our thoughts are what produce our behaviors. So let me give you three right thoughts to help you put money in the right place in your life. Like this is how you're ri- how to be rich God's way. And If you struggle to live a generous life, like this message may like hurt your feelings a little bit or make you feel a little guilty, but I want you to shake that off because here's the deal. Guilt's not a productive emotion. So just shake it off because God doesn't want you guilty. He actually wants you grateful. So that's the first thought you got to have. I will be grateful for what I have. I mean, of all the places God could have put us, he put us here. Like, we live in Oklahoma, in America, where, where we enjoy an abundance of health, and we have cool stuff, and, and we have air conditioning, and we get to be around great people that love God. I mean, we're in, like, one of the last states that still values biblical principles as overall, like, as a majority. Like, that's awesome. And you had nothing to do with that. Like, God's the one who knit you in your mother's womb and placed you here right in this time, right in this place. Like, God did that, and we have a lot to be thankful for. He gave us our gifts and abilities, which allow us to create wealth. God gave you those. You didn't generate them on your own. He gave us all the materials that we need to build our buildings and to, and to make cars. Like, God did that. It's all God. And if you think it's you because of your hard work or because of your education, well, it's time to upgrade your thinking because it ain't you. It's all God. Every good thing that is in your life is because God put it there. It's true. Then why is it so hard for us to be grateful? Why are we all like walking around and griping about what we don't have? I wish I had more. I remember actually not too long ago, I went to a pastor's prayer meeting, and you would think like when you go to a group of pastors, like that's going to be the most joyful, like thankful group that you could ever be around. Well, it turns out it wasn't like that. Like all anyone wanted to talk about was their struggles. Like one would ask, how's it going? One would ask the other, how's it going? Well, you know, we're going through trials. It's been kind of tough. And the whole group just kind of responds, you know, well, praise God, we all struggle hanging in there. And because everyone else is talking like this, we tend to follow suit. Like, this happens anywhere. This probably happens at your workplace. And so we find things in our life that we can complain about, too, to join that conversation. How about we turn it around? How about we be the ones to set the tone of the conversation? What do you all think of that? Like, we're doing great. Like, our church is more united than it's ever been. We're making an impact in Mexico and in the Philippines. Like, it's awesome. And we even had a lady in our church that shared last week that she had something that looked a lot like breast cancer. And then she went and got the test done, and she didn't have anything. Like, that's what's going on at my church. And on top of these amazing things happening, in my life is awesome. I love my job. I love my family. And I'm blessed to have a roof over my head and food to eat. God has been so good to me. We think, we're, we think people are going to be offended when we talk like that. But how many of y'all were just offended? Okay. The one that hooped and hollered is the one that was offended. But how many of y'all were encouraged by what I just said? So there you go. There you have it. People are going to be encouraged whenever you take a stand. And you see, the reason why we can talk about the good things that happen in our lives is because we didn't do it. God did. So when we're talking about the good things, we are elevating God in the presence of everyone around us. We're not bragging. We're elevating God. They may look at you weird at first, but y'all just keep it up. And one day they're going to ask you, what is up with you? Like, how is your life so awesome? How do I get that? And you're going to get to lead them to Jesus and it's going to be awesome. You see, our culture wants us to think that you display holiness when you're kind of down in the dumps, and you live this somewhat poor life, and, and all that. Stop it. Like, we're not going to do that here. If I catch anybody in here doing that, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to call you out on it, I'm going to flip it on its head. We're going to start praising God. So living and talking about your poor life is not what God wants you to do. Take a look at this scripture for an example. 1 Chronicles 29:10 it says, "Then David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom." We adore you as the one who's over all things. Wealth and honor come from you alone, and you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand, and at your discretion, people are made great and given strength. Oh, our God, we thank you, and we praise your glorious name. Like, this is what it's supposed to be like. We all need to take time to think about the good things in our lives and to talk about them. Don't waste any more time thinking and talking about the bad things that are happening in your life or the bad things that happened to you before. Let's think about the good things and talk about the bad and talk about the good things. Don't engage in those depressing conversations because they're going to happen. Instead, you can flip it around. You can take charge of that conversation. Now I need to see what Dave, I need you to see what David said next in this same scripture, but who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you? Like everything we have has come from you and we give you only what you first gave us. And this is the attitude that I want our church to have. Like, we don't give because we feel guilty. We don't give because we feel obligated to give. We give because it came from God in the first place. And generosity is how we elevate God. And I've, I've never met anybody who doesn't want to be more generous. Never. Like, our hearts are all in the right place. They really are. And that's why gratitude is so important, because gratitude will actually make you more generous. That's what it produces. Simply being thankful can flip the whole perspective of your life. Like it can take, take you from being dis- discontent to being fulfilled, which equips you to be more generous. And here's the next way to be rich like Jesus intended us to. I will lead with generosity. Like in other words, before I do anything with my income, I'm going to give first. And listen to me, it's okay for you to spend and enjoy what you have. We already talked about that. That's, that's okay. Just don't do it first. Like, follow the biblical example and give first, because if giving isn't first on your list, it's not on your list, because you're going to get to the end of your paycheck, and even though you intended to be generous at the beginning of your paycheck, it's gone. And what can you do now? Nothing. And that's why you give first. And this is why I encourage you to tithe, because it's a biblical principle where you give the first 10% of your income to God through the church. And listen to me, this is not a law. Listen loud and clear. This is not a law. This is not something that you have to do. God's not going to send his version of the IRS to come and discipline you if you don't do this. He's not. Like, this isn't a law. This is just God giving you a practical way to put, you know, giving first in your life. So when you give the first 10% of your income to God, you're showing, you're showing your money who's boss. Like, you're not in charge money. I am. And we're going to give first. You understand? And that's an amazing benefit on its own, but tithing comes with more promises. God promised when we tithe, he's going to give us more blessing than we had before. Somebody tell me how that makes sense. Like, let me, let's say if I invest, you know, $1,000 into Nicole's business, and I say, hey, Nicole, if you just give me $100 of that back, then I'm going to give you even more. But that's what God does, and it's awesome, and everybody can jump in and be a part of that. I've actually been given the first 10% of my income since I was 15 years old. My parents made me tithe on birthday money. Like, that's how serious it was. And at first I did it because my parents made me do it, but now I do it because I want to. And the benefits are just incredible. And I don't know about you, but I want my heart to always be in the right place. I don't want something else to have more of my heart than, than God does. And tithing is one way to keep money out of that place. And Jesus gives us a very practical way to keep our heart in the right place in Matthew six twenty one. He says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So in other words, here's what Jesus is saying. Generosity leads wherever your treasure is, and heart follows. So if you want your heart to be generous, you have to be generous. Generosity takes the forefront. There's one more thing I want to give you, because there's this idea out there that we've talked about earlier, that the more money you have, the more secure you become, which isn't true. Because you may remember the scripture we read in 1 Timothy, which kind of blew that idea to smithereens. Can't trust in your wealth. So don't put your hope in wealth and said, here's what you got to do. I'll put my hope in God and God alone. Take a look at this beautiful proverb, Proverbs thirty verse eight. Give me neither poverty, poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I might deny you and say, "Who's the Lord? I, I don't need Him. I got all the stuff that I need. I got taking care of it on my own." But if I'm too poor, I might steal and thus insult God's holy name. So isn't this an amazing perspective to have about money? Like this is a prayer from a guy named Solomon, and he's basically saying, "Lord, help me to see money like I do water." Like, I don't want to drown, but I don't want to be dehydrated either. You know, I get some interesting comments about every time I deliver a message on money. People maybe get upset because I'm talking about it or whatever, because it's tension. There's a lot of tension. But you know why I talk about it so much? Because Jesus talked about it so much. Jesus talked more about money than he did prayer. Go figure. Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven. Go figure that. Because he knew that the biggest competitor for your soul— It wouldn't be Satanism. Like, y'all aren't sitting at home like, am I going to be a Satanist? Am I going to be a Christian? Like, I don't know. I'm having a hard time with this. Like, you're not doing that. Jesus knew the chief competitor for your soul is going to be all your stuff. That's the competitor. He knew that you'd be tempted to work all the time so that you could have more stuff. And he knew you'd be tempted to take advantage of others so that you could have more. Like, if you're making a deal with somebody and you're looking to be the one that comes out on top, how about looking for the win-win? Like, that's how it's supposed to be. And Jesus even warned us that you can't serve God and serve money at the same time. Like you got to choose one or the other. And some of us think like, you know, I can serve money a little bit over here. And then as long as I show up to church on most Sundays, but it doesn't work that way. Like you serve God or you serve money. You're in one boat or the other. And why would we choose to put our hope in the provision when we could put our hope in the provider? And that's why we got to adopt this mindset. I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. And before we go today, I'm going to actually ask the guys in the back to kind of turn up some music there, because we're going to take a minute to reflect on what we just heard in God's Word. So go ahead and bow your heads, clear your minds, and let's let God speak to us. God, we ask you to come to us this morning. Holy Spirit, speak on the inside of us and give us that one thing from this message today that we need to take home and apply to our lives. We know that those feelings of guilt and all that nonsense is not from you, so we just dismiss that right now. And Lord, we, we open our hearts and we open our minds to receive your truth because we want to adopt it into our lives. Just keep your eyes closed as we continue to let God move in this place. Because it's very easy to, to allow ourselves to migrate away from God and begin to think that we can manage our life without him. And maybe today you realize that's exactly what you've been doing and, and you discovered you're, you're not really that good at it. You keep pushing and trying and working more hours and none of it seems to help. There's just more debt, more discontentment and it's, and it's all starting to get so heavy and you don't know if you can take it anymore. And the answer is not in working harder. It's not in more money. The answer is putting your hope in God and trusting his word. So I invite you today to step out in faith and try something different. Give God control of your life. So just in your thoughts right now, just as you're thinking about God, just, just tell him in, in your mind, like, I give, I give my life to you. I give you control of my life. And this is true regardless of if you feel close to God or if you feel far from God. Like, we all need to give him control in every area of our lives. But maybe you're one of those that feels far from God right now. Like maybe you've been close to him before and you've drifted away. Or you've never drawn close to God. Well, that's what salvation is all about. And it's not complicated. Salvation is as simple as believing that Jesus died to set you free from all that bondage, to set you free from all that guilt and all that regret. And there's nothing you can do to earn that. Like it's all Jesus. He gave it to you as a gift. And all you have to do is recognize that and receive the gift of new life in Jesus so no one's looking around. This is just between you and Jesus. If that's you, I want you to lift your hand simply to solidify that you're making this decision in your heart. So if you're giving your heart to Jesus right now, go ahead and lift your hand real quick and then put it back down. In church, let's all say this prayer together. So go ahead and repeat this after me. Jesus, I've been living without you and I don't want to do that anymore. I've done a lot of things wrong and I need your forgiveness. I accept your love and your grace for me. And I ask that you would be my Lord. Thank you for making me new. Thank you for washing away my past. I hand my life over to you. I give you control of my life. And I ask you to help me walk out your plan for my life. Awesome. Lord, we just thank you for your sweet presence that's in this place today. We thank you for your truth that came from your word, God. And we thank you that it it updated our thinking today. God, we thank you for the upgrade. We thank you that as we go out and as we learn how to manage money your way, that you're going to pour out a blessing and we're going to be able to be more generous. And you're going to make us rich in good deeds Lord, we believe that you have a purpose for us. You have a purpose for our finances, God, and we want to live out that purpose. We want to make a difference in the lives of others. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. Everybody still love me. Because we got to talk about money for three more weeks. That's all. So, so don't cut out. It's going to be good stuff. Seriously, all if you when you apply this to your life, you're going to see amazing things happen. It's it's incredible. Well, hey, a little over a week ago, um, I told you guys. Or actually, I didn't tell you guys this. A little over a week ago, the ministry that we support in Mexico, they actually went to a remote village in Mexico to minister to people. And they went from house to house, and they actually stopped by a place that they'd been before, where an elderly man and his wife had received Jesus back in June, because they went in June as well. But what was cool is there was three family members there that hadn't, hadn't received Jesus yet. So the team, the Mexico team, got to minister to those three family members, and guess what happened? They made Jesus the Lord of their life, too. Isn't that awesome? So you guys, this happens all the time because of that ministry in Mexico. And you may know this, but we send $1,000 every month over to that ministry to help make this possible. So even though you may not be there, you're a part of these salvations through your generous giving. So it's awesome what God can do through our giving. So as you give today or as you give online throughout the week, I want you to thank God for how he's using it to impact others' lives like here and all around the world. It's incredible. If you're given by cash or check, just raise your hand and one of the ushers in the back will give you an offering envelope, or if you're giving by a debit or credit card, you can use the instructions on the screen, or if you give during the week, that's cool too. That's what I do. You can give online anytime at nolimits.church. Well, hey, if this is your first time here, uh, or if it's your first time in a long time, I just want to say welcome. We're so glad you're here. We're, we're glad, I mean, we're truly grateful that you took time out of your Sunday to be here with us, and we hope you felt at home, because we want you to be here. This is not like some closed family, like this is, our arms are open. We want you to be a part of what's going on here, and we want to help you live your best life. Like, that's what we're all doing here. We're all coming together and helping each other live their best lives. So thank you for being here today, and we'd love to have you back next Sunday, too. It's awesome. All right, let's pray over our offering. Lord, we thank you so much that you've put generosity on our hearts and that you're helping us to act on our generosity, and that when you do, you take it and you multiply it as it goes out, and you even multiply it in our lives. God, you're so good. We want to step right into those spiritual principles and watch these amazing things happen in our lives and all around the world. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thank you for joining us and a special thanks to those that give into our ministry. It's because of your generous giving that we're able to lead people to Jesus and make a difference all around the world. If you're ready to give, head to your browser and type nolimits.fyi into the address bar. And hey, if you were encouraged by this podcast, hit that share button and pass it on so that others can be encouraged as well. Or you can even take a screenshot and share it on your social stories. Thanks again for listening, and God bless you.